We are going to energise the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea, is it? Order! Hello and welcome to The Debated Podcast. I'm your host, Will, and I'm delighted to be joined by another uh, returning guest. Um, it's Kieran Pedley, uh, who is a pollster for Ipsos Mori and the co-host of the Polling Matters podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Kieran. Good to be back. Uh, so first of all, I'd like uh, to ask, we've recently had uh, the first general election debate between uh, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, and there seems to be uh, a feeling that general election debates in the past matter in how they uh, influence the polling and influence people's voting intentions. Has that happened this time with this first debate? Well, I think trying to um, ascertain how much these debates matter is tricky. I think part of the reason is because they matter in the sense that millions and millions of voters will watch them. And therefore, if there is a particularly good or particularly bad moment for the candidates taking part in that debate, it's obviously going to cut through and be significant. But more often than not, we don't find huge shifts in voting intention numbers as a consequence. The one that jumps to mind where we did see that was the kind of I agree with Nick and sort of the mm. click mania in inverted commas back in um, back in 2010. But of course, the Lib Dems then went on to, um, I mean, they may have even led in some polls, I can't remember exactly, but they ended up losing seats, I believe. Uh, so people can fact check me on that, but they, they certainly didn't, uh, there wasn't, that, that, that clegmania didn't manifest itself in the end result. So I think that debates are important because of the eyes that are on them, um, but invariably they don't have a huge impact. And I think the debate this past week is probably a good example of that. The, the significance of them, as much as anything as I can see, will be um, that the two different parties that took part in that one, so Labour and the Conservatives, will be using the content from them to clip and put on social media mm. and to, to use as campaign material. Um, it wasn't obvious to me, and I was someone following it quite closely, live tweeting the social media sentiment analysis. Um, it wasn't immediately obvious to me that there was any knockout blow one way or another. Mm. Uh, now, uh, what was uh, another interesting in the way that there was the social uh, media reaction is that uh, you had uh, obviously some of the polling that uh, came out as to how people uh, felt after having uh, seen the debate. But there was also a bit of a, a kerfuffle over uh, people suggesting that, oh, well, actually, um, Jeremy Corbyn did better uh, because there was uh, a couple of Twitter polls in which a few thousand people voted, which showed him doing better. Why do you think there's this sense sometimes that oh well something that's you know just done on twitter is equivalent to a poll done by a professional polling company do you think that's just people playing into their own uh ideas their own perceptions of parties or, or i mean i think there's a degree of confirmation bias so if you if you are a supporter of labor or the conservatives and you see a poll or data of any kind that sort of supports your view your worldview, then you're likely to share it and think that it's good and that sort of thing um i mean i think to, to be to be charitable to people that uh, share those twitter polls i suppose if you're not a pollster it, or, or not someone that pays particular attention to the science behind it 
um, it's easy to get seduced by the idea that sample size equals accuracy. So some of these Twitter polls do have large numbers of people responding to them. But as most people uh, listening to this probably already know, but I'm sort of duty bound to say, it's not quite, um, <laughs> it's not a question of size matters in this mm. case. Um, ultimately, um, you have to have a representative sample. And uh, if you go back to the, the old days uh, in, in the US when polling sort of first came about, um, I forget who the pres- which presidential election it was. I think it was one of the Roosevelt ones where Reader's Digest had a poll out that showed, showed um, that Roosevelt was going to lose. I think it was, it was either Roosevelt or Truman. I can't remember which. And uh, um, and one one of the candidates was going to lose. But the sam- and it was a huge sample, but it wasn't representative. It was representative of Reader's Digest readers who were a certain type of pen. And then um, Gallup had a poll out of a much smaller sample size. It turned out to be accurate because uh, um, because it was representative. So mm. it's all about how representative your sample is. And for all the challenges polls have, um, you know, a scientific poll done by a pollster is more likely uh, to be representative than these Twitter polls. And one of the things I noticed myself uh, looking at social media analysis the other day is that it is heavily skewed. Uh, people on Twitter uh, are typically lean a bit left um, and, and more more importantly than that um, these Twitter polls aren't even necessarily representative of who's on Twitter um, mm. they'll be representative of who follows the particular person uh, that, that, that posted the poll so there isn't really very much we can learn from Twitter polls and, and it's, it's a shame when sort of serious people um, serious people share them mm. um, now uh, something else that I've also noticed over this uh recent election campaign and something that has had contrasting uh, points of view on it is constituency polling. We've seen um, some constituency polling recently in Finchley and some constituency polling in uh, Grimsby as well that show quite uh, stark uh, results that are different from what um, we've seen in previous elections. How effective and how um, reliable do you think constituency polling is? I mean, that's a very difficult question to answer without trying to dodge the question, because I think there's very rare that constituency level polling is ever validated against an actual result. So what I mean by that is very unusual. Uh, I can't think of a general election where we've seen a a slew of... uh, uh, constituency polls the day before. Um, it's obviously all the, all the pollsters will do their national prediction polls in the, the days before the election uh, in a few weeks' time. Um, I don't think you're going to see large-scale uh, constituency polling uh, at that time. At the same time, maybe I'm wrong. So any constituency polling that you see right now is um, a representation of the picture or the best the best available picture that we have in those seats right by now um, doesn't necessarily mean it'll be sort of who wins and similarly I mean I think um, you do sometimes get constituency polls in and around by elections but again they're not often right up against the, the day itself so I think when you're looking at constituency polls I wouldn't want to say dismiss them um, but I, I think you've got to um, just be careful about over interpreting them I, the way I look at them I sort of I see them and think okay that's interesting gives you a bit of a flavor about what's happening in individual seats but I don't necessarily look at them and say, OK, well, that, that clearly means uh, that X, Y or Z is going to happen. There was one that The Economist published, I think, yesterday in Great Grimsby, which mm. was um, which showed the Conservatives taking the seat uh, essentially on the basis of standing still uh, in vote share. I think they went up two points, but mm. basically standing still, whereas Labour lost something like 18 percentage points of the vote share. Again, that doesn't mean that will happen in Grimsby in a couple of weeks time, but it was 
was interesting to observe just because it sort of illustrated a part of what the national polls are really saying, which is often the Conservatives in and around the 40s, uh, which is a very similar number to what they got in 2017, Labour a long way back from where they were then. So, I mean, I guess that Grimsby poll sort of validates locally what we're seeing nationally. Um, but I would be careful about start, starting to say, well, that just means Grimsby's going blue because we don't know yet. Mm. Uh, now, uh, the uh, parties, the different parties, the Conservatives haven't yet, but the different parties have been releasing their manifestos recently. The Liberal Democrats, uh, the Greens, uh, Labour, and the Brexit parties release their sort of like, well, not manifesto, but their uh, contract with the people, or whatever they call it. Um, how influential do you think manifestos are on voting intention? Or do you think that they're more a useful tool on campaigns where uh, candidates can refer to the manifesto and say, oh, well, we promised such thing in our manifesto to try and convince voters to vote with them. Well, we have, we have, I mean, we haven't got explicit polling out on the specific policies of the manifestos yet. I mean, we may do in the, in the near future. Um, but I think one, there was a question in our most recent Ipsos Moria political monitor this week where we asked people to essentially, if you had 10 points and you had to allocate those points between um, uh, the leader, the policies or, or the sort of your, your commitment to that party so the question was if you had a whole if you had a total of 10 points to allocate according to how important each of these were to you how many points would you allocate to the leaders of the party you intend to vote for uh, how many to its policies and how many to the party as a whole okay mm. overall um, for the, the mean score for policies was 4.6, the mean score for leaders was 2.7, and the mean score for parties was 2.7 as well. So I guess what, what in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is that uh, if you ask people, they will say more often than on other things that the policies are what decides uh, who, who they will vote for. Um, and so in that regard, the, the manifestos are important because they set out the policies. I mean, I think, it's, again, you have to be careful about drawing a sort of linear line between manifestos and the election result. Um, although in 2017, I think it's fair to say that the moment that things seemed to shift was after the, the, the various manifestos. But that was a very 2017 specific uh, situation. We don't often see the polls radically change after manifestos generally. So. Look, manifestos are about setting your stall out, um, putting your policies out there, and voters will at least tell pollsters um, that, that, that those policies are particularly important. So I do think the manifestos are a significant moment in the campaign. Um, whether or not they change anything in this particular campaign, uh, we don't know yet. We just have to wait and see. Mm. Um, now, uh, one of the things that has been promoted by the Labour Party is suggesting that uh, non-voters will uh, once again, or swing voters will once again, uh, ensure that the, the party is much closer to the Conservatives than it is at the moment. Do you think that, based on the recent polling, that that is particularly likely, that there will be something that could shift it, or, or do you think that we're still in the territory at the moment of a, a Conservative majority? Well, as I always say when I'm talking about this, so, I mean, our, our numbers, uh, our most recent numbers this week have the Conservatives on 44, mm. um, which is uh, up a couple, Labour on 28, which is also was up, up, up a few on the last time, uh, and Lib Dems down, down, down to 16, Brexit Party on 3. So to give people some context, so a 16-point Conservative lead. Mm. Um, so a long way back, a long way back for Labour, but you know, as you rightly say, uh, Labour supporters will point to 2017 and they'll say, OK, we, we've come back once, we can come back again. Um, 
and I, I don't have any uh, particular rebuttal that can say why well, that definitely won't happen. Mm. Um, I think there are reasons to think that it is unlikely, simply uh, partly just from an analogy that lightning rarely strikes twice, but partly because um, the conservative vote share, and we should often look at vote share rather than the lead in the 40s feels like something that they will achieve on the base or, or in and around that uh, where they were in 2017 on the basis that the Brexit party doesn't look like it's going to be a significant factor and there does seem to in this election so there seems to be a there seems to be a sort of inverse relationship almost between the Brexit party vote and the conservative vote and the absence of a strong Brexit party showing, as it appears, means that the conservatives ought to be able to get back to where they were in 2017 in terms of vote share um, if not easily, I mean, it's certainly very clear to see how that can be achieved. They just have to stand still from where they are now. So if we're talking about Labour coming back, I mean, part of it is talking about the Conservative vote share. They seem in a reasonable position. Um, I mean, for Labour to come back to where it, where it was last time, around the 40% mark, I mean, it's going to have to eat into that Lib Dem vote share. Um, the Lib Dems are, are up from single digits in 2017 to uh, uh, 16 of us. Other so views are available. But the Lib Dem vote share is falling. I mean, we had them as high as 23 points this year. Um, and there is definitely a, a feeling, I think, um, that the Lib Dems haven't had a great campaign so far. So maybe Labour can do that in the coming weeks. Um, and also, I mean, but also I think it's, it's almost impossible to see how Labour can improve dramatically without taking at least some votes from the Conservatives, but it's tricky to see how they might do that. Um, so can Labour come back again? Well, I mean, it's possible because they've done it before, um, but given how unpopular their leader is at the moment uh, and given the challenges they have to convince Remainers that um, they are the best option, um, it, it looks different difficult for them but again with, with two and a half weeks to go we've got a trump visit in there somewhere mm. um you know you can't write rule anything out um, now you mentioned that the uh, the liberal democrats uh, this year have been polling at 23 percent. i think the brexit party were polling at a, a similar level early in the year do you think that though this election was meant to be about resolving brexit that brexit has sort of dissipated a bit as an issue and we've moved on to, to much broader things, and that's why both the Brexit Party and the Liberal Democrats aren't doing as well as they were doing in polling earlier in the year. Um, I mean, so the, the question of which issues will decide this election and what sort of election it is is, is a complicated one, because we have polling out on the phone where we ask people what are the biggest issues uh, facing, you know, what, so looking ahead to the general election, which of any of these issues do you think will be very important in helping decide, uh, helping you decide how to vote? And when we ask people in their own words, Brexit does lead. I mean, 63% say Brexit, 41% say health, and 21% 20, say education, um, which may be something that surprises people. Uh, cause I don't think schools have been, a, uh, and education generally have been a huge part of this campaign yet. Mm. Um, and and so and I think that when you look at by historic uh, trends, so if you look at the last sort of uh, elections going back to 2001, I mean, well, let's forget 2001 actually. Let's let's say let's just look at 2017. In, in 2017, 42% um, said Brexit. Uh, or Europe, and uh, now it's 63%. So I think there is some evidence, actually, that Europe is 
a particularly important part of his campaign. And I think that you, the Tories clearly seem to think that too, because when you looked at the debate this week, Boris Johnson was almost agonising in his in his ability to uh, bring everything back to um, his Brexit deal. And uh, I think he said he was going to buy it for Christmas for Jeremy yeah. Corbyn. And, and uh, you know, he kept wanting to bring up the fact that. Corbyn, in his own, in, in Johnson's terms, didn't have a policy on Brexit or whatever words he used. So there's certainly some evidence for that. At the same time, um, if 63% are choosing Brexit, that means there's obviously a, a good chunk of people that are choosing other things, um, although it was a multi-choice question, I should say. Um, and also, on an online poll we've re- released this week where we put the, the, a list of things in front of people rather than got, got it in their own words, so to put things, put a list of choices for people to choose in front of them, actually had the NHS slightly ahead of Brexit. So mm. it, it does depend a little bit on how you ask the question. It does, a li- it does depend a little bit on how you prompt people and whether you, uh, you, you um, and, and, and the survey environment. But I think it is actually, I mean, it's easy to be contrarian about this, and I'm usually, I'm usually someone that likes to be, but I think Brexit is clearly a big issue in this election, and I think the deadline or the sense of a more impending deadline that there was in 2017 probably contributes to that. But there are other issues. Um, I think the NHS is never far away. I think if I was going to pick one other issue that I think is, is going to be important, and I, I do have one eye on that Trump visit. I mean, I, I don't necessarily say it's going to change much maybe it won't but it has the potential to doesn't it if, if uh, Corbyn can pick a fight with uh, with Trump and they get and then there's some sort of row over the NHS being on the table in any trade deal and this sort of stuff so we, we wait and see but um, and also what we don't know and it's probably worth pointing out is what, what other issues might come up in the next two weeks um, we, we obviously hope there's no great terrorist attack or uh, we hope there's no great sort of uh, more, no more flooding, no more additional flooding or anything of that nature. But things, but the point is, things can happen, and uh, if things happen, then they will rocket up the political agenda. Mm. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the popularities uh, of the individual leaders, and in particular Jeremy Corbyn, in the way that he's perceived, he's I think the most unpopular leader of a major party in terms of uh, polling the, since the 80s. Um, do you think that the fact that we think so much in terms of sort of like the leaders of the parties in the same way that in America they have presidential elections and they think about the different nominees for president. Do you think that this perhaps influences the way that uh, we think about voting and the way that we will say that we're going to vote? So, for example, you know, people look at Jeremy Corbyn or they look at Boris Johnson and they see things that perhaps they don't like. And instead of thinking about the wider party, they think of them as individuals. How much do you think the leaders really do uh, influence the way people vote? Well, I mean, I think so. If the question is how important are the party leaders in in, in, in elections, I mean, they're very important. Uh, I think. Um, although going back to those numbers I mentioned earlier, if you ask people, then uh, remember that ten points they had to allocate between the, the different the different facts. Um, you know, people do say policies uh, are, are more likely to say policies influence them than party leaders. But I think the challenge with some of that, to um, slightly caveat some of those numbers from earlier, in a way, is that it's sometimes sometimes quite hard to disentangle uh, these things. So, I mean, policy, your perceptions of a leader and, and, and a party and its policies are in many ways intertwined. Mm. Um, it can't be a good thing that um, Jeremy Corbyn's personal poll ratings at least a month or so ago are the worst we've ever seen for a leader of the opposition in our political monitor's history. 
and that goes back actually to 1977. Mm. So, so we first started capturing that when Margaret Thatcher uh, was an opposition leader. So that can't be a good thing. And unless we see that significantly increase, so his, his sorry, his personal ratings significantly improve, mm. then um, Labour's. I mean, I'm reluctant to make hard and fast predictions, but Labour's extremely unlikely to do anything other than lose quite badly, and and the Conservatives will probably get a majority. Um, but it isn't the but it isn't the be all and end all. But I mean, you don't have to look far in our most recent numbers this week to uh, see numbers that are bad for Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, 65% disagree he's ready to be the Prime Minister. But his um his supporters will point out that um in May 2017, when we asked that question, 60% disagreed. Uh, it was ready to be Prime Minister too, but then he went on to deny Theresa May her majority. So, look, I think that the ratings of the different party leaders are important. You'd certainly rather be the Conservatives than Labour, given the current ratings, um, but it's not the only thing that matters. Mm. And uh, you had some pulling out uh, uh, recently uh, regarding whether it was very important to you personally who wins the next general election. And in um, May 2001, it was like 27%. Uh, November... Uh, this year it's 64%. Do you think that because of how sort of like fragmented politics is, we're not we're not seeing much consensus politics at the moment, we're seeing politics very much uh, at the extremes, that that makes people perhaps more invested in who wins, that there's more sort of like passion and tension amongst the parties? Um, maybe. I mean, it's quite hard. I mean, that that's a that's a good theory. It's quite hard to validate whether that's uh, whether that's true or not. You're certainly right that people do think this election is very important. And I think one of the things people have said uh, going into this election is because it's a winter, uh, not just a winter election, but a sort of Christmas election, for want of a better mm. term. I mean, very near, very close to Christmas anyway. Um, that turnout will be low because people won't want to show up in the cold and the bad, you know, bad weather generally, and all the rest of it, and in the dark. But the truth is, if you give people a reason to show up, they will show up. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if turnout is uh, quite high, actually, or at least uh, certainly not much lower than it's been. Yeah, again, we'll have to wait and see. So I think we shouldn't confuse the fact that the election campaign feels like it's run out of steam quite early, which I think it feels like to me as, as, a, as, a, as someone that's watching it very closely. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's a lot new to be said, but we shouldn't confuse that with the fact that people don't feel strongly about what there is to say and what there is to talk about. So I guess another way of thinking about it is that um, the Brexit policies are reasonably well known um, of each of each of the party leaders and, and parties. Um, people feel quite strongly about that. Now, just because the next two and a half weeks isn't really going to change anything in terms of those policies doesn't mean people don't feel strongly and they don't, and, and therefore that they won't show up on the 12th of December. So, um, on the extremism point, I mean, uh, that's again, that, that's a quite a difficult thing to say mm. because I think extremism is is in the eye of the beholder mm. <laughs> um, quite quite often. Um, one thing we do notice, we asked about the images of different parties uh, this week, and um, 50% uh, of the, the, the British adults thought that the Labour Party is now extreme. That's up from 37% back in November 2017, uh, and it's been around that sort of late 30s measure. In the last few years, so it was 38% in 20, October 2016. It was 36% in September 2015. Uh, it was 14% in April 2015. Mm. So for, anyway, lots of numbers there, but for it to be at 50% uh, is very high uh, for Labour. I think it's the highest we've ever seen. So you know, extremism matters 
but again, one person's extreme is another person's reasonable, so I guess we have to be careful about that. Uh, so do you think that um, more people, say more casual voters, are being uh, engaged than perhaps those who were more interested in politics at the moment? I mean, I'll be completely honest with you, I, I really don't know. I mean, there isn't really... Um, I mean, there isn't really a lot in the data that can prove that one way or another. I suppose the one way we might know that is if uh, turnout is very high. Um, you've got to be careful about extrapolating what turnout is going to be from opinion polls because often it's not a great guide, at least uh, at least at this stage uh, before before the campaign. Um, so I mean, it's quite hard to be able to say definitively that the kind of so-called less engaged are more engaged than they once were. <laughs> not least because if you are, I mean, you'd have to sort of. Um, You'd have to have specific questions that get to that. I suppose the fact that, uh, as I think we were talking about earlier, um, I think it was 64% tell us that they it's very important to them uh, who wins this election, um, which is the highest I think we've seen, uh, certainly the highest going back to 1987. I'm not aware if we've asked that question before then. So I suppose the fact that a, a larger number of people think it's very important to them who wins could be one sort of data point that suggests that people are more engaged in this election than maybe previous ones. But it, it, it's kind of hard to say that if that's a specific part, part of less engaged people becoming more engaged. Uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Thank you uh, once again for coming on, Kieran. It's been great to uh, talk to you. And I'd like to uh, just ask you one final question. Um, as this is, as you said uh, during the podcast, uh, often seen as a Christmas election. Uh, I know you're a great Spurs fan. What would you l most like for Christmas? It can be politics-related, football-related, Oh, what do I most want for Christmas? I mean, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm inclined to ask for a sort of unbeaten run from uh, the, the, someone from from Jose Mourinho because <laughs> I've now discovered, uh, as I as I didn't realise before, but it turns out he is really special. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I could be quote, found quotes in the past of me saying he isn't. Um, so maybe something like that. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to. <laughs> we're in the middle of an election campaign, so I think that to get the election right would be a quite a nice way to go yeah. into the Christmas period. I'm sure I'll get some uh, nice presents from various friends and family. Uh, but I think uh, everyone at Ipsos Mori will be uh, hoping to call the election right, and uh, I'm, I am confident that we will. But let's wait and see. Well, uh, I'm sure you will, and uh, it was great to have you on again, and you're more than welcome uh, to come on again anytime you no like. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, so thank you for listening to the podcast. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, uh, I think Spreaker now and Spotify. And if you want to send us an email, you can send us at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you listen to the next one. <laughs>